Nursery rhymes, also known as Mother Goose rhymes, can be defined as short songs and verses often read or sung to by young children. Generally, these verses are anonymous, although the term nursery rhyme has also been applied to works written by known authors. Many familiar nursery rhymes are centuries old and originate as part of a long oral tradition. Others first appeared as written works, although the authorship of these works is not always known. Nursery rhyme publication coincided with the rise of children's literature more generally, with significant publication beginning in the 18th century and blossoming in the 19th century. Nursery rhymes vary in style, subject, tone, and theme, although many are marked by a use of rhythm and rhyme that makes them easy to remember. They include nonsense rhymes, lullabies, finger plays, counting out rhymes, riddles, games, songs, and ballads, among other types. While some rhymes seem designed purely to amuse, Others are didactic and educational, including those intended to help children learn the alphabet and numbers. Many nursery rhymes have variants in other languages with similar rhymes appearing in different nations. Many of the best known traditional nursery rhymes were not originally intended for young, but belong to a folklore tradition shared by adults and children. In England, the first significant written work containing traditional rhymes was Tommy Thumb's songbook. Another publication intended specifically for children was Mother Goose Medley. The term Mother Goose rhymes is interchangeable with nursery rhymes and its use in English dates back to the early 18th century when Charles Perrault's collection of fairy tales was first translated from the French. The subtitle of his text was translated into English as Tales of Mother Goose. Over the years, there has been speculation as to whether Mother Goose was a historical figure, with some scholars positing that she was either an author or a teller of tales for children. But it is generally accepted that the term does not refer to any particular person. Nursery rhymes remain a ubiquitous part of children's literature often accompanied by illustrations designed to appeal to early readers. They also continue to be passed from one generation to the next as part of a shared oral culture. Pat a cake, nursery rhyme. Pat a cake, pat a cake, baker's man. Bake me a cake as fast as you can. Pat it and prick it and mark it with B. Put it in the oven for baby and me, for baby and me, for baby and me. 
and there will be plenty for baby and me. Pat a cake, pat a cake, baker's man. Bake me a cake as fast as you can. Pat it and prick it and mark it with me. Put it in the oven for baby and me. For baby and me, for baby and me. And there will be plenty for baby and me. What does pat a cake mean? A game in which two participants, such as mother and child, clap their hands together to the rhythm of an accompanying nursery rhyme. Another nursery rhyme is one of the most popular clapping games. It is first found in written form in the United States in 1888. Although the song is American, even mentioning the 4th of July, it is very popular throughout the English-speaking world. Who is Mary Mack? Little is known about who Mary Mack was, but given its geographical origin, it is believed that Merrimack was referred to the warship USS Merrimack, named after the Merrimack River. The theory might be true as the Merrimack's color was black with silver rivets. Miss Merrimack Game The clapping game is played by two persons standing or sitting opposite each other, while clapping their hands rhythmically. The game starts with the hands positioned together facing your partner. Next, 
cross your hands and put them on your chest. Left hand on your right shoulder and vice versa. The person facing you should do the same. This is the time you should start singing the first word of the song. Next, while saying the second syllable, place your hands on your hips while continuing the song. Place both hands together again in the starting position. The fourth move will be the first one where you will meet your partner's hands but it will not be a straight clap, but one done diagonally. Your right hand meets your partner's right hand while singing the next syllable of the song. Then the two left hands meet diagonally and finally the two hands meet each other. Repeat the process with each line of the song. Miss Mary Mack, 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 all dressed in black, black, black with silver buttons, 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 all down her back, back, back. She asked her mother, 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 for 15 cents, 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 to see the elephants, 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 jump the fence, fence, fence. They jumped so high, 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 they reached the sky, 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 and didn't come back, 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 till the 4th of July, lie, lie. She asked her mother, 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 for five cents more, more, more to see the elephants, elephants, elephants jump the door, door, door. They jumped to the flow, flow, flow. They stubbed their toe, toe, toe. And that was the end, end, end of the elephant show, show, show. <laughs> Miss Mary Mack. Miss Mary Mac. Miss Mary Mac. Miss Mary Mac. Listen up while I tell you a story that I don't want you to miss. It's about little Miss Mary Mac, and it goes something like this. Miss Mary Mac, 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 all dressed in black, 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 with silver buttons, 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 all down her back, back, back. She asked her mother, mother, mother.
the Muffin Man is a traditional nursery rhyme and singing game dating back to early 19th century England. The rhyme first recorded in 1820 tells the story of a Muffin Man from Drury Lane, an overpopulated area of London where poverty, brothels, gambling, and criminality was abundant. A Muffin Man used to be the person who was delivering fresh muffins from home to home for the low-class people living in the English cities of the 19th century. The Muffin Man as a game. Although the lyrics of the song remain the same over time, the game has at least three versions, one being described by Henry McCarness in 1888 in The Young Lady's Book. It goes like this. How to play. All the children are staying in a circle. One of them will begin the game by returning to the one sitting next to him or her and asking. Do you know the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man? Do you know the Muffin Man who lives on Drury Lane? He or she will reply by singing the next verse. Yes, I know the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man. Oh, yes, I know the Muffin Man who lives on Drury Lane. Then both of them will sing together. Then two of us know the muffin man the muffin man the muffin man yes two of us know the muffin man who lives on drury lane then the second child will address the third child or third children by singing do you know the muffin man the muffin man the muffin man do you know the muffin man who lives on drury lane and the answer will be sung together by the first, the second, and the third player. The Muffin Man. Do you know the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man? Do you know the Muffin Man who lives in Drury Lane? Oh, yes, I know the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man. Do you know the Muffin Man? who lives in Drury Lane.
Humpty Dumpty, usually represented by an egg, Humpty Dumpty is a famous character in an English nursery rhyme. It also appears in literature works and other popular culture. Humpty Dumpty dates back to the early 19th century. At its origins, it was a riddle, and the egg was probably the riddle's answer. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Humpty Had a great fall. No. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Falling Down is a singing game and one of the most popular nursery rhymes dating back to the 18th century England. It was published in 1744 in the Pretty Song book collection of Tommy Thumb. However, it is difficult to state the exact origin of its lyrics, but it can be connected with the London Bridge's history one of the most well-known bridges in London today, also a very popular tourist destination. Originally a wooden bridge, London Bridge's history dates back to the Roman occupation era, just around AD 50. 
It was destroyed several times and rebuilt during the Viking and Saxon invasions, but also during natural disasters such as the 1091 tornado or the Great Fire of 1135. The construction of the first medieval London Bridge was started in 1176 and continued for 33 years. The new stone bridge completed in 1209 was designed with 19 arches and a gatehouse accessed by a drawbridge. It was populated with around 200 shops and businesses, so crossing the river became really hard. The bridge's endurance was also put in danger by carrying such a heavy charge on it. The shops above it, among others, affected London Bridge's strength. Although the bridge was not destroyed in the 1666 fire, its stability was seriously deteriorated. A new construction of London Bridge was started in 19th century, replacing the old one, demolished in 1831. The actual London Bridge is an even more recent edifice, started during the 1960s. The demolished bridge in 1831 was sold out, and stone by stone it was moved and reassembled in a new place in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Hey, everybody, come gather around. I want to tell you a story about London Town. Yes, this place is so much fun. But when the bridge fell down, I had to run. Lennon Bridges, Lennon Bridges falling down, 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 down.
Welcome to Math Adventures for Young Minds, the segment where we make learning math fun and exciting. Today, our episode will be dedicated to counting to 50 in Spanish and learning multiplication facts focusing on numbers 3, 4, and 5. Grab your thinking caps and get ready for a fantastic math adventure. Stand up. Let's count. Gracie's Corner. Muy bien, amigos. Espero que estén listos, porque hoy vamos a contar hasta 50. ¿Listos? Ahí vamos. Lo 
Multiplication is like a superpower that helps us solve problems and understand the world around us. It's a secret code to unlocking new possibilities. By knowing your multiplication facts, you can figure out how many items you have, how groups are formed, and so much more. Let's start with number three. Did you know that three is a magical number? It can make objects triple in size. Imagine you have three bags of candy and each bag has five pieces. How many pieces of candy do you have in total? If you have three bags of candy and each bag has five pieces, how many pieces of candy do you have in total? You have 15 pieces of candy. Three bags multiplied by five pieces in each bag gives us 15 pieces of candy. Three times five equals 15. Three times one is three. Three times two is six. Three times three is nine. Multiply by three. Three times four is twelve. Three times five is fifteen. Three times six is eighteen. Multiply by three. Three times seven is twenty-one. Three times eight is twenty-four. Three times nine is twenty-seven. Multiply by three. Three times ten is thirty. Three times eleven is thirty-three. Three times twelve is thirty-six. Multiply by three. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty-one, twenty-four, twenty-seven, thirty, thirty-three, thirty-six. Multiply by three. Now, let's move on to number four. Did you know that four is like a mirror? When you multiply a number by four, it's like seeing its reflection, but four times bigger. For example, if you have four kittens and each kitten has three toys, how many toys do you have in total? If you have four kittens, and each kitten has three toys, how many toys do you have in total? You have 12 toys. Four kittens multiplied by three toys each gives us 12 toys. Four, times three equals 12. 
One is four. Four times two is eight. Four times three is twelve. Multiply by four. Four times four is sixteen. Four times five is twenty. Four times six is twenty-four. Multiply by four. Four times seven is twenty-eight. Four times eight is thirty-two. Four times nine is thirty-six. Multiply by four. Four times ten is forty. Four times eleven is forty-four. Four times twelve is forty-eight. Multiply by four. Four, eight, twelve, sixteen, twenty, twenty-four, twenty-eight, thirty-two, thirty-six, forty, forty-four, forty-eight. Multiply by four. Number five. Five is a high five waiting to happen. It can make things grow and multiply in a snap. Imagine you have five friends and each friend has four marbles. How many marbles do you all have together? You have five friends and each friend has four marbles. How many marbles do you all have together? 20 marbles. You got it. Five friends multiplied by four marbles gives each of us 20 marvelous marbles to share. Five times four equals 20. Remember, practice makes perfect. Take some time each day to review and memorize multiplication facts. You can use flashcards, play fun math games, or even ask your parents or teachers for help. And don't forget, mistakes are part of learning. So keep trying and don't give up. Join us next time for more fascinating number facts. Until then, keep multiplying your knowledge and stay curious. Welcome to Young People of Change, Change Makers, where we discuss inspiring stories of the brave young individuals who played a significant role in the civil rights movement. Today, we're taking a journey back in time to explore the incredible stories of young people who played a crucial role in the fight for equality and justice. Get ready to be inspired and learn about the civil rights movement through the eyes of these brave young heroes. Our first hero is Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges was a courageous six-year-old who made history. In 1960, Ruby became the first African-American child 
to attend an all-white elementary school in New Orleans. Can you imagine how brave she must have been? Ruby faced angry mobs, but she walked through those school doors with her head held high, knowing she was helping to make a change. Next, we have Claudette Colvin. Claudette Colvin was a fearless teenager who took a stand for her rights. Nine months before Rosa Parks' famous bus boycott, Claudette refused to give up her seat to a white passenger on a segregated bus in Montgomery, Alabama. She was only 15 years old at the time. Claudette's actions inspired others and played a crucial role in the fight against segregation. Now, let's talk about John Lewis. John Lewis was a remarkable young leader. In his early 20s, John Lewis became one of the big six leaders of the civil rights movement. He organized sit-ins, freedom rides, and marched alongside Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. John Lewis dedicated his life to fighting for justice. And even in the face of violence, he believed in the power of nonviolence and peaceful protests. Our final hero is Barbara Johns. Barbara Johns was a determined high school student who fought for better schools. In 1951, at the age of 16, Barbara led a student strike at her all-black high school in Farmville, Virginia. She demanded equal educational opportunities for African-American students. Her brave actions eventually led to a landmark Supreme Court case, Brown versus the Board of Education, which declared segregation in schools unconstitutional. These young heroes remind us that age is not a barrier to making a difference. They show tremendous bravery and a belief in the power of equality. Their actions and sacrifices shaped our world today and continue to inspire generations to fight for justice. Remember, change starts with small acts of courage. You too can make a difference in your community whether it's standing up against bullying, promoting inclusivity, or 
speaking out against injustice. Every action counts. We hope you've been inspired by these stories of Ruby Bridges, Claudette Colvin, John Lewis, and Barbara Johns. Join us next time as we continue to explore the incredible individuals who shape history and continue to inspire us today. Until then, keep standing up for what's right and never underestimate the power of your voice. Barbara Johns, 16-year-old civil rights leader. We wanted so much here and had so little. And we had uh, talents and abilities here that weren't really being realized. And I thought that was a tragic shame. And that's uh, basically what uh, motivated me to want to see some change take place here. In 1951, Barbara Johns, then a 16-year-old junior and niece of activist Reverend Vernon Johns, decides to organize a student strike at the Robert Rusa Moulton High School. There wasn't any fear. I just felt, uh, this is your moment, seize it. Barbara had decided, she and the other student leaders had decided that this is what they were going to do. They were going to get, get a representative from each grade and have that person be responsible for telling the other students. And she emphasized that we should keep it a secret. Mr. Jones was the principal. We had to get him off campus because we knew if Mr. Jones was on campus, there was no way there was gonna be a strike. He was a very strong leader and very highly respected man. So we went home and we pretended we were businessmen calling in, uh, telling him that some students were downtown making disturbances, and would he please come down and, and take care of it. When one of us saw him, uh, then that person called the other two and said, well, he's gone, and we all came, and the three of us came back to the campus. When we got to the assembly, uh, Barbara came in and walked up on the stage, and I remember saying to myself, what is going on? Why is she up there? And she started to talk. And she was talking so forcefully, and she told us about how uh, the conditions were very bad at the school, and, uh, you know, she needed everyone's cooperation, and she realized this was a surprise, but they had to keep it that way so that it wouldn't leak and that uh, only a few people knew about it. Barbara started out, of course, and then we just talked and told them, strike the school and it became a chairing session. What do you want to do? We want to strike. When do you want to strike? Today, you know, and all this. So <laughs> it, it really was a rallying situation. I remember sitting in my seat and sort of cowering down because I couldn't believe it, first of all. The first reaction I had was fear. I thought, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to us now? Everyone, a lot of people were scared. Some of Barbara's closest friends were scared to death for her. They said, why did you do that? She says, we have to make a change. 
And I mean, right now, you know, Barbara was very dynamic when she wasn't quiet. The students marched down the street to the superintendent's office. We come in the office, and, the, and this poor secretary almost had a heart attack. <laughs> so she goes, tells Mr. McElwain <laughs> that, that these students are here. So we go in his office. He promised he was going to rain down the wrath of God on all of us for what we were doing, and our parents were going to lose their jobs. He's had your upstarts. And you know, you, you need to go ahead back to school before all your parents are in jail. And this is what frightened us when he said our parents are going to jail. And um, a member of my family says, how big is a final jail? And that was it. From that point on, there was no stopping for us. The initial reaction was to cut off the economic livelihood of folk, and that, of course, was going to bring them in line. And, you know, Mr. Jones, the principal, was fired. Mama was fired and Daddy was fired. Our cross was burned in our yard after the school strike, and my parents sent Barbara to Montgomery, Alabama to live with my Uncle Vernon because they were afraid for her life because they had received threats. Responding to the crisis, NAACP lawyers come to Farmville to assess the resolve of the community. It was just like my watching Jackie Robinson in Ebbetsville. It was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. And they came in there, and they were really and truly behind us. They were astounded to find that these people who had been dormant and quiet for so long were ready to back their children. Then, of course, uh, Spotswood Robinson spoke up, and he says, if you're really ready to back them, then you have to sign this petition. And that's when we found out how we could separate the wheat from the shaft in the black community, because some of the blacks didn't sign. As you know, my mother and father signed. The NAACP takes up the student's cause, adding the Farmville case to a series of suits that will take the Rusa Moton students' challenge to Jim Crow all the way to the United States Supreme Court. It was the culmination of a 20-year legal campaign. In 1934, the NAACP's chief legal counsel, Charles Hamilton Houston, had realized that the battle against Jim Crow had to be fought in the courts, that only through a change in the constitutional interpretation of civil rights could the separate but equal justification for segregation be brought to an end. With this new strategy, Houston and Thurgood Marshall had aimed squarely at the heart of Plessy versus Ferguson, the 1896 ruling that had made legal segregation possible. On May 17, 1954, Houston's vision became a reality. In a case known as Brown versus the Board of Education, the Supreme Court upheld the Farmville students' claim for better schools. Speaking for the unanimous court, Chief Justice Earl Warren declared, in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place. I think, believe it or not, we had the idealism of American young people about America. Uh, and I think that that was a very important 
compelling and driving force in the way that these Prince Edward Blacks faced the world, that we saw our, our history as in evolving into the American story in some way. The best moment was in 1954 when the Supreme Court overturned segregation in schools. That was the best moment. All the rest of it went for, for that, even though when we started, we didn't start for that, but that was the best moment. When I heard about the historic decision, I said, thank God, thank God. At last, someone has listened to us. And those were my very words. Someone has listened to us. Hopefully, we shall see a change. Thank you for listening. In the words of Mrs. Bernice Presley, be blessed.